Calling all Arizona attorneys. Where are my brothers and sisters at? I hope you are ready to be educated and inspired, or at least entertained, because it is time for Cluff's Notes on Arizona Lawyer Life. I'm your host, Arizona attorney, Brig Clough. All right, I am joined now by Benjamin Taylor, attorney at law in Arizona. I first met Benjamin, I'd say it's been five, six, seven years, wouldn't you, Benjamin? Yeah, yeah it's been a while. It's been really a while now. Yeah, so I think that the way that we met is that you were on the panel of a CLE that was, I think, sponsored by the state bar, uh, having to do with public relations and uh, uh, attorney interactions with the press. Is is that about right? Exactly. Yes. Um, I was part of a panel teaching the ethics of media and how to handle cases and high-profile cases in the press or having to have a case that might not be high-profile and how do you get your case out there so that people can know about it. Yeah, that's right. Anyways, I thought it was a pretty good presentation. I think I I came up and spoke to you after the CLE or maybe during a break, but we've just remained in touch since then. And uh, we don't see a lot of each other, but we bump into one another now and then. And I think yeah. we're Facebook friends, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, we had lunch afterwards and we kept in touch and we see each other at, you know, maybe various state bars here and there. So you've been a good person, and, and um, I appreciate you having me on, on the show. Well, that's, uh, that's nice of you to say. But really, the truth, though, Benjamin, is most of my contact with you comes from me watching you in the news, giving interviews, you know, being Mr. Big Shot trial attorney. Uh, I mostly watch you from afar, but I appreciate you saying those nice things about me. <laughs> it's true. Oh, man. Okay, let's talk about something a little bit more substantive here, Benjamin. We are in the midst of what seems to me like an explosion of uh, race relations into the zeitgeist. Uh, More so, I think, than I've ever seen it in my lifetime. There, There have been a few... A few different chapters in my life that I can look at and, and think, wow, you know, race relations have been a prominent issue, but I don't think ever so much as right now. I guess, um, I think race relations have always, you know, been here throughout the years and throughout our history. It's just right now it's being displayed a lot more on TV and a lot of people are seeing a lot of things that's been going on in America with things have been going on behind closed doors throughout history. And with the George Floyd killing in Minnesota, with the officer having the knee on George Floyd's neck, people watch a live killing on before their eyes by a police officer, which they probably have never seen before. A lot of people haven't. I think that just woke a lot of people up have people pay attention to what has been going on in America for over centuries. 
So now I think it's on live display, and now you can see it on TV, and people have definitely decided to pay attention now. Yeah, that's the flashpoint. I think I think it's actually I mean I think it's very positive what's going on. Did you having all different types of races, background, religions, cultures are coming together and and seeing that what's been going on in America has been wrong. And now people are actually you know, standing up and saying, we need to change. And yeah. that's just the same lip service change, but changes in the law, changes in our culture, and being able to treat people better and equal. So I think, you know, um, some people... It's a little bit tense for some people because it's, it's new, and it's and, and a lot of times newness makes people feel uncomfortable. But this is something that's been needed for decades that needed to change, and now that it's on full live TV and display, hopefully we get some positive changes from the George Floyd murder, so, so that way laws have been changed and we can go into a better country. In the, I, I don't know exactly, but I would say it was roughly three weeks before the George Floyd killing in Minneapolis that there was a uh, a video that was released, even though the video had been taken, I think, months prior, but a, a video was released of Ahmad Arbery in which he was killed not by a active duty police officer, but... Um, by uh, a, I guess, a former police employee. I'm not sure if he was actually a, a police officer, but he and his uh, father had taken it upon themselves to uh, act as police. And so we had that explode onto the scene, and I remember watching that video, and you couldn't see as clearly in that video what was happening. Um, but you could see enough that it was outrageous, and um, it, it was very emotional. And I, I remember seeing that and just thinking, "My goodness, what? How on earth can this happen?" And and, and there was outrage about it. Um, but just as that was starting to get quite a bit of attention, uh, the George Floyd killing occurred, and that video was released—the cell phone video that that uh, a young woman had, had taken on the, just on the street as a bystander during the George Floyd uh, arrest, which devolved into a murder. Um, anyways, the combination of those two events, it has really uh, been a spark, I believe. So hopefully, based on these killings and, and people being you know, awakened, hopefully our congressmen and women our senators will go into their offices and write up and draft up laws to change so that way victims of police brutality can get justice in the courtroom. And that's the real change that we're, we're desiring. Because the protests are nice. It's good to protest, and, and, and I'm glad that people are protesting, and, and it helps keep the story alive. But ultimately, once the protests end, we need real change so that way all this is not just dying in vain. Yeah, I agree. There, there needs to be a change in some of the laws that pertain to this area. Um, 
but there needs to be a change in people's hearts. Because if people don't have pure hearts, if they don't have loving hearts, you know, there's nothing to build on there. And um, I hope that people are um, being awakened to um, some of the racism that exists not only in the country but in their own hearts um, because I don't think that people feel that they are racist. You know, when you think of racist, you, you think of, uh, you know, you're thinking the worst. Uh, you're thinking KKK. Um, you're thinking, you know, some skinhead or something like that. But um, I, one of the positive things that I think has happened is that I do believe that people are, some people anyways, are taking an honest look at some of their own biases that they have and um, if not eradicating the biases, at least uh, finding a way to uh, act in a fair way, uh, recognizing that they have these biases towards people, um, generally towards people that are not like them. It doesn't have to be just... Uh, you know, white people having biases against black people. It can be uh, people of any skin color having biases against people of any other skin color. And it can also be people of the same skin color having uh, biases against their own people, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Ra you know, racism and prejudice and bias can, can, can last <laughs> throughout all different types and cultures. Do you know who Candace Owens is? Candace Owens. Yeah. Um, She's like a conservative uh, pundit talking head. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and, I know. She's an African woman. Yes. Yeah, she's a young, black, attractive, very pleasing to for white Trump supporters to listen to. <laughs> right? They love, they love her. Yeah. She, she, yeah. She's, they love what she's dishing up for them. I had never heard of her, before, you know, for a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. Have you watched her video when she talks about um, George Floyd? Um, I haven't watched the whole thing, but I read an article about it. And is this is what I guess I would say, you know, about Candace Owens or about other people. I mean, the thing about the African American culture, I mean, I mean, even though I might not agree with Candace Owens and her beliefs, I do believe that just because you're African American, people shouldn't tell you how to think or, or what to believe. So I think we always have the right to our First Amendment rights to freedom of speech. And if you believe certain ways, you're allowed to speak out in a way. A lot of times, people categorize you know certain people African Americans to believe you must be a Democrat and liberal and think a certain way and everything. So even though Kenneth uh, Owens is an African-American female, um, and a lot of times people might say, well, why does she support Trump or why does she do these, you know, do, you know, say these different things? A lot of it could be because she's getting paid to say it. It could be a lot of money-wise or maybe deep down. I have no idea how she grew up in life, but she might have just grown up differently than other African-Americans, and maybe a different view on life. 
or different experiences. And within, you know, the African American culture, there's different people with different experiences and different belief systems and we're not all the same. And that's one thing I think a lot of times when people want to clump certain people thinking that all African Americans are Democrats and they, they believe a certain way and they're gonna vote down the line for the Democratic Party. Which is true. I mean, within African American culture there's 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 libertarians, there's people who believe in the Republican agenda, Democratic agenda, all types of agenda. So as far as Candace Owens, I personally um, may not agree with everything that she says or does. However, I do believe that she has a right to her beliefs, and, and she truly believes that way. She has a freedom of speech to speak out and have her unique perspective versus her own personality and her own belief system. Well, no doubt she's got the right to hold those opinions, and no doubt she's got the right to express those opinions. But... I've got the right to call BS on those opinions. All right, I want to talk about statues, Benjamin. Did you know that we, I'm sure you're aware of this because it's been in the news recently, but did you know that we have a memorial to the Confederation or the Confederate soldiers at the, uh, near the state capitol here in Arizona? Yes, and this has been on the state capitol for many years, and and the Confederate um, Memorial Monument that have been displayed, and and it was interesting that now um, it's come to light. I mean, people in the past have tried to take down these Confederate monuments because, as far as we know, we're not quite sure whether or not there was actually a battle of Confederacy <laughs> in Arizona. Um, but and why do we have Confederate monuments in Arizona? However, um, hopefully they are taken down. The Confederate flag and the symbol does symbolize racism and slavery and hatred in the community. And now that we're in 2020, we... You know, a lot of people are trying to understand why do we still have these monuments that that symbolize hate and the Confederacy when we're here in Arizona, all the way out here on the West Coast. So is this about history or is this about hatred? So I think yeah. that's what people are trying to figure out. I discovered that monument on my own a few years ago, just strolling around near the state capitol grounds and Hmm, what's this? Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> what on earth is this abomination doing here? Uh, and I'm glad that it has come to light now. But the debate that is ongoing in our country is driving me crazy, Benjamin. I've been so surprised to see people around me that I know and love and respect taking the position that, no, 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 this is history. Uh, You can't change history. You shouldn't try to whitewash history. Just because something in history isn't what you like, you shouldn't try to change history. And trying to frame this discussion as a, a question of whether we ought to be changing history. And I find that to be such a dishonest argument. Nobody is attempting to change history here. 
I've got some thoughts on that, but I want to give you the first crack at it. What what do you think about this argument that we shouldn't be trying to change history? I understand, you know, the argument of not trying to change history. However, I don't believe we have even had any Confederate history to begin with. And what was the agenda to put, you know, Confederate monument in the state of Arizona? I understand the argument in the southern states of Mississippi and Alabama where they deployed the Confederate flag and maybe people have had grandparents or great-grandparents who fought in the Confederacy. So I do kind of understand that. But ultimately, if you have a symbol that's offensive, that symbolizes hatred, we need to be on the right side of history and move forward and change. And just like we have, you know, here um, in Arizona, we, we now change Piesto of peace after Lori Piesto was. You know, before it was an offensive name of our of our of our of our peak that people just hike up. So people change that. So changing history and and and, and to the to be on the right side of history and being positive, that is um, something that we've done throughout our lives. So by taking down the Confederate flag, Confederate monument right here in Arizona, I believe that it's actually helping history and and the way we can make our own history that's in a more positive way. Wow. You are so much kinder to your adversaries than I am. So much more empathetic. And I I commend you. I salute you. I, I acknowledge you are on the high road. Now, let me t- do some business here on the low road here, if you don't mind. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. I don't want to forget that history. Not at all. I, I think we should have reminders of that history. But I don't think we should glorify the slaveholders. And I don't think we should glorify the people who were traitors to their country, who took up arms against their country, who killed thousands and thousands of their countrymen to preserve slavery. We should remember that, but we shouldn't honor that. And so to those who say we're trying to change history by taking down these monuments, I have a suggestion. We can have the monuments, but instead of monuments showing Nathan Bedford Forrest riding on his horse, looking like the gallant great man. Let's have monuments that bring shame to him and scorn. Something that shows him in the depths of hell, in the lake of fire and brimstone. Let's have that be our reminder of who Nathan Bedford Forrest was. We don't need anything that brings honor to those scumbags. And that's what they were. I recognize the danger of the slippery slope. George Washington, he was a slave owner, right? Yes, he was. Yet, I don't believe that the statues of George Washington should come down. I I believe George Washington is due honor and respect. So how do I distinguish between... George Washington and um, Robert E. Lee. 
the way that I draw this distinction in my mind is that at the time of the Revolutionary War, slavery had not ripened as an issue at that time. People were not taking sides and fighting over the question of slavery. It was a divisive issue, no question about that, but the issue had not yet ripened. And when the Civil War happened four score and seven years later, the issue had ripened, and then it was time to take a side. And if you took the side of slavery, you don't get a place of honor in our remembrance of that time. You get honored if you took the side of the abolition of slavery. If you fought to free people, we honor you. That, that's how I avoid the slippery slope. I, 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 don't, I don't advocate taking down the, uh, the statues and memorials and the honor that we pay to people like George Washington because they, the issue had not been ripened at that point in time, and they didn't, they didn't choose the wrong side. Robert E. Lee chose the wrong side. That's how I look at it. What do you think? No, I, I mean the same way. I think they're on the wrong side of history. You know, I mean, they kind of disband from the Union and, and, and fight a war to start their own country, and they enslave human beings, and they try to fight it over money and, and slavery. So I do look at Robert E. Lee and the people who fought for the Confederacy, traitors, and people who are, you know, are on the wrong side of history again. So I understand that, you know, people want to preserve that history and, and learn from it, and then you can learn from that in the history books, because as the old saying says, if you don't learn from your history, you're, you're bound to repeat it. So we definitely need to learn from it. But I definitely don't think that it should be openly displayed, you know, in front of, you know, everybody, as far, as far as the flag or as far as, you know, monuments, because flags and monuments are symbols of, of greatness and appreciation, and these are symbols that we value, and they should definitely be in history books and be learned from, and maybe put in an artifact or put in a museum for people to learn from, but be displayed in front of millions of people. I believe that, you know, Robert E. Lee and the Confederacy were was definitely in the wrong, and they should looked at as heroes. Speaking of heroes, Benjamin, one of the things I love about what you do is you you do play the role of the hero in the cases that you take. How did you start into that? How, how did that come to be? Well, my background was criminal defense, so I represented a lot of people who were accused of crime. And they would tell me stories of, hey, Benjamin, I got beat up after being arrested. And we, we understand that, you know, people shouldn't, you know, do crimes. However, just because you do a crime or in police custody doesn't, you don't deserve to be, you know, brutalized or, or beat up or shot if you are not resisting or if you're, you know, not displaying excessive force. So I noticed a trend with a lot of my clients were saying the same trend. So I started looking into it and seeing that some of my clients were getting broken bones and getting shot and even 
family for, you know, coming to me for, you know, them getting killed. So I started, you know, learning and getting mentors and about the civil rights aspect. And they're hard cases to fight, but I think, you know, there, there are rightful cases like the George Floyd case and Breonna Taylor's case that people need to do more civil rights cases because a lot of times out here the police are doing their job and, and, and thank God for police for protecting us. However, there are some bad apples out there who are making the community look really bad or who need to be fired and who need to be dealt with with a lawsuit. So that's what justice is, you know, but that's the way you get justice in our justice system is by filing a lawsuit and an action against the police when they beat up your client and do your client wrong. Yeah, that's awesome. Who were some of your mentors? Um, I mean, growing up, I mean, I, I was a big Johnny Cochran fan. I mean, that's how I got into the law. Um, Johnny Cochran and doing the famous OJ case, um, that was, you know, me being African-American myself and seeing an African-American attorney um, out there, that was, that was me. <laughs> And we've seen it, you know, after, and actually in winning, not just doing the case, but actually doing it well and winning. And, you know, the, o, you know, the OJ case, Johnny Cochran, um, it's probably one of the biggest cases that we've ever seen. Oh, no doubt. Our nation, or our world. And to have an African-American do that case and do it well and pretty much, you know, beat the prosecution down, <laughs> being a criminal defense attorney, you know, you, you just admire that. So, I mean, he was, a, you know, a mentor, you know. Thurgood Marshall, you know, that the first African-American Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court justice, you know, you know, arguing the, the case of Brown versus Board of Education and segregation and fighting civil rights. Um, you know, that was a, you know, that's a person, you know, that, that I always looked up to and read. And then uh, a mentor that people might not have heard of is an attorney named Fred Gray. And Fred Gray was the attorney for Martin Luther King Jr. in Alabama. And you're a movie fan, so I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Selma. I have not seen it, but like, it's a, it's in my queue. Good movie? It, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, so Fred Gray was the attorney for Rosa Parks during the bus boycott. He was the attorney for Martin Luther King Jr. and a lot of civil rights activists. He's um, an attorney that's kind of an unsung hero because people don't really know about his name. People know about, you know, Johnny Cochran, Burger Marshall, um, the, the big names and everything. But Fred Gray was a, you know, mentor and you know and, uh, of mine and he's still alive today i had a chance to meet him a couple of years ago at a conference and he's, he's older of course but he's still doing well and just to see a legend like that who who fought during the civil rights movement during some of alabama doing a bus boycott it's just amazing to see the history you know how far it's come we still got a lot of ways to go but there that is a cool lot of since 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 then um, you, you have to have seen, um, I hope you've seen, it's such a great movie. I can't remember the lawyer's name. Michael B. Jordan plays him in the movie though. It's called Just Mercy. Yeah, Just Mercy. I, I, yeah, I did see that. I actually thought it during this whole pandemic COVID time. I thought they would have picked up on some movies during that. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was, I, I thought really good. Um. Oh no, that was a great yeah, that's a great movie. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about doing God's work. That's it. So I really, 
think it's great the way you probably more than any other attorney that I know personally, I, I see you on the news being a, uh, a go-to resource that, that, that they go to for comment on cases, and you do a good job with it. I thank you for coming on to my show here today, Benjamin. Is there anything else you want to say as kind of uh, final thoughts? Yeah, no, thank you for having me for, for the show. Um, I mean, I appreciate your, you know, your show, your friendship. And this is a topic, you know, on race, race relations, what's going on in the community that needs to be um, addressed. So I, I appreciate you having, I guess, the courage to talk about this because a lot of times people are a little bit nervous to talk about race and what's going on. But this is something that I don't care if you're what, what race, nationality, religion you are. We all live in this human race. We need to be able to get together, get along in the legal system, in the regular system, and, and I appreciate you being able to talk about this topic, and if your viewers or anybody ever need anything, they can reach out to me. I'm attorney Benjamin Taylor from Taylor and Gomez Law, and be happy to discuss civil rights cases or any type of cases or just want to talk about race in general and what's been going on in the community. So. Yeah. All right, Benjamin. Thank you very much. Appreciate you joining me. Go forth. Yeah, no, you too. Keep up the good work, and I thank you. All right, Amigo. We'll see you. That is it for this episode of Clough's Notes on Arizona Lawyer Life. Thank you to my guests and listeners. Be sure to share this show with all your lawyer friends. And if you have an idea for the show, give me a call or send me an email at brig at cluffinjurylawyers.com. I'll see you soon.